Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is UXK. 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 I'm your host, Lee Allen Arredondo. Hello, and welcome to episode 42 of UXK. This week, we're talking about permission to speak. Maybe there have been times that you've found yourself hesitating to speak up or to put your voice out there. It happens a lot. It's not just a UX issue, of course, but it's definitely a common complaint in UX and I'd say in tech in general. And it happens at every level as well. It's not just an early career kind of issue. I've been in leadership roles for over 20 years, and I still experience this at times. My guest today is LaDonna Willems, who is the Associate Editorial Director at Dropbox. LaDonna is a writer, and she is an expert on voice. So when she realized that she wasn't always speaking up because on some level she was waiting for permission, that was incredibly eye-opening to her. She went through this process that really changed her perception, and it felt so transformative that she really wanted to share it with others. So she created a workshop to go through the process to help others who want to find the power in their voice and to speak it in whatever way that means for them. That might be words or art or music. There are many ways to speak, but it starts with finding the source of your power and the power of your voice. LaDonna also has an upcoming workshop in Seattle on January 28th at the Dropbox offices. So if you're listening before that date and are lucky enough to be in the Seattle area, I would encourage you to sign up. You can get free tickets on Eventbrite, and I'll add a link in the podcast notes. But anyone who's listening, regardless of where you are in the world, can take action on this process that LaDonna describes and try it for yourself. And if you enjoy this podcast, wherever you are listening in the world, please share it. You can share a link with a friend directly from whatever podcast platform you're listening on or share it to your Facebook or Twitter feed. UX Cake's mission is to make the UX community stronger and you can help by sharing this content with others. Thank you, LaDonna, so much for joining me on UX Cake today. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you about this conversation that started back in October when we, yeah. when we met. And you told me about your talk, which you've also developed into a workshop now, and that resonated with me. I know it would resonate with a lot of people, so I wanted to share with the UX Cake listeners. And so I'm, I'm just really grateful that you're you're willing to share it and you're taking it to workshops and, and sharing it with other people. Yeah. Thanks. It feels like one of those things that once you figure out, you can't stop talking about it. So I'm happy people want to listen. <laughs> well, let's talk about that, figuring it out. So first of all, what do you mean by permission to speak? Well, I, it's been about a year now. I had a situation in my career where I just couldn't sleep at night as I was trying to figure it out. And it was full of a lot of anxiety and 
in the process of working through all of that, I had another woman challenge me to to use my voice in a louder and stronger way, which was kind of shocking to me because although I don't think of myself necessarily as a loud person, I do think of myself as a strong person and I'm a writer, I'm an editorial director and voice is kind of my jam or it's supposed to be. And that's what I've been telling people for a long time. (laughs) So her actual words were, you have more power than you know. And that's the kind of thing that you have to sit with for a while. And it was like a stone just dropped in a pond and the ripples just kept spreading and spreading. And initially I just thought of it in relation to the situation with my career. But the longer I thought about it, the more I began to see a pattern in my life of silence and not just with using my actual voice, but in making decisions. To me, it it all began to revolve around this idea of permission, that I was waiting for permission from someone to speak or to make a move. And usually that person was a man because I was waiting for permission for someone in a position of power. So that was disturbing to realize. And it was kind of like the Wizard of Oz in that once you've seen behind the curtain, you can't unsee it. And I traced it back all the way to um, the way I was raised in a very religious environment where men are, are the heads of households and women are more submissive, even though I thought I had broken free of that mindset. I realized it was just really embedded in my bones and I was subconsciously waiting in all situations in my life um, instead of moving forward. Yeah, that sounds very powerful. I think we might have talked about that as well because that also resonates with me in my own background. But talking about figuring it out, so an interesting part about your approach from what I can gather, I haven't taken the workshop yet, I'm excited to, (laughs) is that it starts with finding your voice because your voice is your power. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, the more I've thought about it, the more I think that we tend to focus a lot on on our brands, right? Our personal brand is is a big buzzword, but that's all about some sort of glossy facade, what we should look like, what we should say, what we should pursue in our careers, especially. And not even our careers, though. I mean, there's social media and this curated image of life. And I really began to to see that it all comes back to, to my personal realization, I guess, and then kind of the hope or the assumption that other people feel this way too. So instead of focusing on the shoulds, the acceptable standards, that we all assume are in place, going all the way back, peeling all of that off and going way back to the core of who am I and what do I care about and letting that determine voice instead of doing it backwards. Because I think that to kind of claim the power of your voice, you have to understand all the ways in which your voice matters and all the ways in which you can say things that really no one else can say because of your experience and because of your identity. So tell me a little bit more about that, that process that 
going back to like your origin, it almost sounds like going back to your origin story even. I mean, is that what you're talking about? How how are you going about this process of understanding your voice, what matters to you? Well, to me, voice is completely intertwined with story, right? We use our voices to tell stories. Some of us do that through design. Some of us write. Some of us actually speak. There's all different ways that we express ourselves. So instead of trying to close off those parts of ourselves that we often assume are unwelcome, I'm trying to get people to to open those things up. The way I see it, there's a power structure in which there are the people in power, and that changes in whatever situation you're in. But generally, in every society or company or culture or family even, there's the people who are in power and the people who are not. And so the people in power usually dictate the conversation. They say what stories can be told, who can tell them, how often they can be told. So when I looked at my own life and growing up, not just in the religious environment that I did, but in our American culture as a whole— I realized that I had begun to silence myself because I had internalized a message that I was weird or I wasn't up to the standard that everyone else was. And I think we all do that in different ways. So breaking through that means going all the way back to figuring out who am I, not just who have I built, but who am I in all my parts? It's a lot about what did I inherit? What are the things that are true about me that I can't change? Then what are the things that I have chosen for my life, career, where I live, all sorts of things like that. And then just looking at what are the things that I care about? What do I love? What lights me up? What am I angry about? What am I really afraid about? And I actually did a um, self-audit that I walk people through in the workshop where you list all these things out. And then you go back and look at this list with a highlighter and you only circle the things that feel like they're um, like in neon lights, the things that are really most important. So when I wrote a list of, you know, who am I, starting with I'm a woman, I'm white, I'm American, all those things that I can't change about myself, a couple of the things I wrote down were I'm tall and I'm curvy. But when I went back through with a highlighter, I didn't highlight those two things because that's not something I feel passionate about talking about. That's It is a part of my identity, but it's not important enough to me to take a stage over. Where there were other things about voice and fear and being a woman and being a mother that I was circling multiple times. So when I stood back and look at, looked at the things I circled, they were kind of things based on my identity, but also based on my experience that I feel really passionate about, that I want to talk about, I want to tell stories about, I want to share with other people. And so that was kind of the baseline that I set for, okay, I have things to talk about that I am uniquely equipped to talk about, and 
now I'm going to go out and find opportunities to, to do that. So that was when I went to my boss at Dropbox and said, I have an idea for a talk that I want to give at conferences. And that was where it all really started to take off. And so going back to the original surfacing of this issue, being encouraged by a friend <laughs> to speak up or to make your voice heard. After you went through this process, what was the outcome? Well, it's been even more powerful than I expected it to be. I don't know that I had any expectation, really. In the beginning, I was. it just felt like when someone tells you something that feels really true, and so you start kind of digging all around it, and then you have to go and get a backhoe because this hole has gotten so big, and you're kind of excavating and uncovering all these things, and it has set in motion for me a, a chain of events that is continuing to kind of just domino. I began writing about this last summer, and then I started speaking at conferences in the fall and doing the workshop. And now I'm working on writing a book and continuing to refine and evolve both the talk and the workshop. The, the wonderful thing about being able to do all of this more than once is that I get a lot of really great feedback from people about what is resonating for them. And so then I can add even more to make it even more effective for people. What have been some of the outcomes that you've heard from other people? Like what is happening when someone is finding out that they don't need permission to speak or giving themselves permission to speak or finding their voice? What's the outcome? Well, the first place I spoke was last September in Tel Aviv at Off Fest, which is primarily focused on designers and artists. And it was a conference where a lot of people are coming and talking about cool projects that they're working on and showing really impressive portfolios. And then I got up there with pictures of fruit and started talking about feelings and <laughs> being silenced. And I had a moment, a kind of an out-of-body moment in the middle of the talk when I saw a couple of guys leaving through the, <laughs> the back doors when I was like, what am I doing here? There are 500 people in the audience. Are any of them getting this? Afterward, I was overwhelmed by the number of people who came up and many of them said, well, this was not at all what I expected to hear, but it's exactly what I needed to hear. There were especially some younger women who were in tears saying, I really needed someone to tell me this and I feel afraid a lot or I've been really unsure about my voice. And a few people from the conference ended up coming to the workshop, which was two days later at the Dropbox office in Tel Aviv. And they were very excited about one of them in particular, I remember, was really excited about changing her entire portfolio to reflect more personal work because she felt she had built her portfolio entirely around what she thought she should be instead of really showcasing who she actually is. So it's been stories like that that have made me really excited. I also have had conversations on the side with people where I'm, I'm trying to explain what I'm doing and their heads start nodding and they might not have anything in common with my upbringing, but they too have felt that they needed to get permission to 
speak or to, you know, change or to do things in, in their lives. So that's been really wonderful as well. And it was, I don't know, a trial by fire maybe to speak in Tel Aviv as kind of the first outing of this idea. But I really believed that this isn't, it isn't just for Americans. It isn't just for women. It's, it's a human feeling, right? This feeling that your voice might not be welcome. Well, and I, I think it's not just a, a feeling, <laughs> Yeah. You know, I, a reality. I, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I would love to have advice for, for example, a young woman who I mentored who was working on speaking up. And part of the problem was is trying to gear what you say to what you think people want to hear, <laughs> but then being rejected. When your voice is rejected, I'm sure it happens for any profession, but I think this happens a lot in the UX profession as well, because, you know, UX as a discipline is often sidelined or goes unheard. And so for those of us who also are maybe feeling like our message that we have to say isn't welcome or, you know, people don't want to hear what we have to say, even though it's very important to us. I would love to know what to tell those people. Yeah, that's real. One of the things that I have added to my talk is a call out to people in the room who kind of hear the introduction and sit back and say, well, that's not me. I've never felt that way. I have never needed to ask anyone for permission to do anything. So I added a little gif of a unicorn screaming into a microphone and call them out as magical unicorns and ask them to stay and to think about ways in their own life and work that they can recognize that other people in the room do not feel the way they do and to use their own power to lift up those voices. So that's speaking to the people who are doing the rejecting, right? Or the people who see it happening and have the power to say, well, wait a minute, this person was saying something that we should listen to. But I think for those who are being shut down, we can't control how we're received. And I think that part of giving yourself permission to speak is reminding yourself that you speaking up doesn't have to be dependent on how other people are going to take it. I have found that even as I am giving this talk, I have to remind myself multiple times, sometimes in the same hour, that I I have permission, I have given myself permission to do this and that I can keep doing it and I can keep saying it. It's not something that you figure out once and then no. it's, you're cured. <laughs> yeah. It's not like you can write yourself a permission slip once and then you're golden. It's changing a mindset that for many of us has been there for years and years and years. And that's a difficult thing. And it's even more difficult when you wrestle up your courage and speak up and then you're shut down. I actually was reading an article yesterday by a professor who was invited to be on a panel about the Me Too movement. And she was the only woman of color on the panel, and she was trying to speak up 
about men of color who have been um, falsely accused. And she felt responsible. She wrote that as the only woman of color, this was an issue that she needed to bring up. But the moderator didn't want to hear it and actually took the woman's microphone away and gave it to someone else on the panel so that they could share their story. So you can imagine how dis- disheartening that was for her. And she ended up writing this article about it, you know. So she was silenced and shut down that day in that moment. And she probably felt awful. And she went home and she wrote an article and published it over here in this other channel And then someone like me read it and it made me think and I was never in the room to hear the panel. So I think that's part of permission to speak as well. You know, you're shut down in this room. Go find another room. That really touches on kind of the milieu that we're in right now. Yeah. Where we're just not listening. (laughs) You know, there's a lot of conversations happening, not necessarily any individual, but just in general, we aren't wanting to hear other people who disagree. Right. It's uncomfortable. It is. It is uncomfortable. But it, you know, so part of that is being willing to speak up. And I think that's very important and understanding that that's not always comfortable, but giving yourself permission, changing your mindset. I think that's really important. Another really important, powerful aspect of your approach is if you really understand your true voice, the power in that is understanding actually being very sure that what you have to say is important to you so you can stand behind it. Yeah. I think that I repeat a few times in the talk in the workshop that your voice matters because I think many people haven't heard that enough. And the idea that each one of us have stories to tell that no one else in the world can tell. And so if we don't share them or we don't give our perspective, then not only do we miss out in in using our voice, but other people are missing out as well. And some of the research I've been doing lately, I came across this author from Nigeria named um, Chimamande Ngozi Adichie, and she's written novels and some really great feminist essays, but she also gave a a TED talk a few years ago called um, The Danger of the Single Story. And she writes, or she spoke about when she came to the U.S. to go to university and she was matched with a roommate who was white and an American. And this girl was shocked that Chimamanda knew how to speak English and use the stove and that she liked Mariah Carey. And she said that she realized her roommate had only ever been told one story of Africa. And so she had an assumption of what a woman from Nigeria would be like because she had only ever heard one story. That's the danger of silencing other voices and silencing ourselves is we all end up just hearing a single story over and over and over instead of hearing multiple stories and multiple perspectives. And I think that what what many people react to today when they're saying, you know, oh, we're too 
politically correct or whatever today. I think it's because it is having heard only one story most of our lives. It's uncomfortable often for those of us who've been in positions of power in some rooms to hear those other stories, but it's so, it's so important. And what I love when I, (laughs) it's this, you know, the dichotomy of permission to speak, but also part of that is a responsibility to know when to not speak, right? And to know when to just listen. And I've done a lot of thinking about, you know, just as I have felt silenced or felt the need to ask permission in many, many situations throughout my life, I also have been on the flip side of that in positions of power where I haven't listened and I've silenced other people because we, we all hold both of those things in our hands. It is tricky having a career and moving into positions of, of leadership. There's a lot of things that you have to balance. There's this dichotomy of wanting to be heard, but not knowing, especially earlier in your career, maybe not knowing when is the appropriate time yeah, or what is the appropriate way. And by saying appropriate, I don't mean like right or wrong. I guess what I mean really is effective. You know, sometimes it's the timing or the approach can have a lot to do with the effectiveness of whether you're going to be heard or accepted. Yeah. You know, another thing, though, that you talk about in your workshop is different ways of making your voice heard. Can you tell me a little more about that? I realized that not everyone's a writer and not everyone's comfortable with words. And even those who are comfortable with words might not be comfortable with speaking them out loud. So I thought about the way in which in all my work with brand voices, we define the voice of a brand, not just as the words we use, but as the colors and the the way things are designed. And, you know, that, that voice is this whole spectrum of character and personality that in in addition to words, it is all the ways we express ourselves. So for human beings, that becomes, you know, what we wear and what we, if you make music, what kind of music you make, what you paint or draw or design or code, you know, all of these things can become expressions of our voice. So I wanted to make sure to include that. And it was helpful that one of my first audiences was a group of designers because I knew I was speaking to visual people more than word people. And I had an example that I shared of an artist that I've followed for years on Instagram who became pretty well known for a certain style of art that was really kind of dreamy and fairy tale-esque, very beautiful. But she she caught my attention last summer when she posted um, on her Instagram and just said, you know what, I'm tired of doing this art because it's not really who I am. It's who I was for five minutes in my 20s and now I'm in my 30s and I have a whole range of other things that I want to express. So I'm going to start doing that. If you don't like it, you don't have to follow me, but I I just can't be this one note artist anymore. And sure enough, pretty soon her feed was full of all sorts of, you know, more cartoony looking stuff and and 
stuff that was just a little bit more raw and it was great. And so I wrote to her and asked her if I could use her art as an example in my talk of, you know, finding your voice might just be changing it a little bit, or instead of just expressing this one story, you've got five stories that you want to tell and in all these different ways. What's her Instagram? Her name is Lisa Felzen, F-A-L-Z-O-N. But she also makes jewelry. So she has another account that is called Bring Me My Battle Axe. (laughs) So you can find her in both places doing really, really amazing things. As a good example of finding your voice. Finding your voice, expressing your whole self. I think another part of it, too, that one young woman talked to me about after my first workshop was the idea that everything we put out has to be completely finished and polished. And so I think another aspect of finding your voice is realizing that it doesn't have to be completely done. You can still express something that is a beginning or a little bit raw or rough, and that's okay too. You don't have to hold it back, you know, until it's perfectly shiny. That's so true. It's so true. I never would have started this podcast (laughs) if I had waited to be perfect. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) In fact, that was, that was definitely something that that's a powerful obstacle. Definitely something that kept me from starting it sooner. Yeah, for sure. And man, those first episodes are pretty rough. I have to say, (laughs) I don't even want to hear them. Ah. (laughs) Now might be a good time to ask you, what's that step-by-step process? So the first step is really looking at at your identity, like we spoke about before, and and I call it a self-audit, asking yourself a bunch of questions to just kind of lay yourself bare to yourself. And when you do that, you kind of slide into step two, which is your values, the things that you really care about. But those are, they don't exist in a vacuum. Those are kind of overlaid on top of your identity because it's all about who you are, what you care about, and what you what you know. And so it's kind of like, I saw I saw this Venn diagram that one circle was what breaks your heart most about this world. And the other circle was, what are your skills and talents and where those overlap is where you can be of service. So it's kind of the same idea. You know, what, what are you passionate about because of who you are? And then what do you love and what are you good at? And where do those two overlap the most? And that's this area that I, I call it, it lights you up. It's like the the neon light. It's like a fire in your belly. And for some people, that might be 10 things. For some people, it might be one thing. But it's that I think we spoke earlier about when you when you are really sure about what you have to say. So if you if you have this thing that lights you up, then that in itself gives you the cor- the courage to say what you need to say, because you're so sure you're so passionate about but there's this thing that I know and I care about and I have to say something about it. I have to do something about it. So that's step one, your identity and two, your values. And then you have to look at in step three, what are you afraid of? And those are 
that's looking at what's silencing you, but it's more about how you're silencing yourself, right? Because you can't control the other people in the room. You can't control the people who might be in positions of power, but you can control what you do with your own voice. So when you lay out, you know, what am I afraid of? Am I afraid of looking stupid? Am I afraid of how other people are going to respond to me? Am I afraid of failing? You know, just kind of um, in the workshop, I have people just call it out into the room because I feel like once you realize you're not the only one who feels that way, that kind of helps you overcome that hurdle of fear. And I, I also, I haven't done this version of the workshop yet, but I've been um, thinking a lot about Chanel Miller recently. And she wrote a memoir that was published last fall called Know My Name. And Chanel was the, most people know her as Emily Doe, who was the woman raped by Brock Turner at Stanford a few years ago. And so when I think about someone who has reason to be afraid of using her voice, it would be Chanel. You know, she could have stayed in anonymity as Emily Doe. But she revealed herself and wrote an entire book and is using her voice in the face of her fear. And it's been incredibly powerful and incredibly uplifting, honestly, not just for her, but for other survivors of sexual assault and for just, I don't know, anyone who reads her. I'm I'm a huge fan (laughs) of of her work. But I think there's also, just as you look at step one and step two, and then you get to your fears, then there's that tipping point over into step four, which is giving yourself permission, where you realize that a lot of times when you hear other people's stories, that helps you make sense of your own story. It helps you make sense of something that you might be struggling with. And so if you then use your voice to talk about whatever that thing is that lights you up, then you are giving someone else what they need to overcome whatever they're struggling with. And when you join that passion for what you want to say with understanding that there's someone out there who needs to hear it, then giving yourself permission to speak becomes much easier, no matter how many times you have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And is there any part of this process that you find people have the hardest time with or that you had the hardest time with? I move pretty quickly through steps one and two. And for me, steps three and four, the fear and the permission are are really closely intertwined. And many, many times I've, I've had to remind myself that I have given myself permission to do this because there are times I don't get nervous so much standing up in front of a a room of people, but there are those out-of-body moments when you're like, wait, what am I doing this for? (laughs) Does this really matter to anybody? And then I I have to, you know, grab a hold of my brain and say, hey, my voice matters and I gave myself permission to do this. So I'm I'm doing this. And I've been, since um, November, I've been working on writing a book, which is one of the most daunting things I've ever done, even though I write all the time, I write for a living, but it's that when you make it personal, it becomes this like, Hmm. does anyone, no one's going to want to read this. Why am I doing this? (laughs) Does anyone even care? You know, 
Yes, I'm familiar with the feeling. <laughs> <laughs> but then I've had other people, there's this young guy who came to the workshop in Tel Aviv. And the very first activity I have people do is a collage about who you are. And most people get really excited about that. It's fun and everyone's talking and there's music playing and there's lots of fun things to cut up. And he just sat there for several minutes, not doing anything, looking kind of terrified. And so I went over and asked him if he was all right. And he said, tell me again what this workshop is for. And so I did. And he said, so this is, this is about my voice. And I said, yeah. And I said, you know, you can interpret the collage however you want. I thought maybe he was you know, not feeling particularly arty. But it turns out he was that whole idea of talking about himself and making something that was about himself was absolutely paralyzing for him, where that was probably my favorite step. <laughs> so I think I think it's different for for everyone. And he did he he found a buddy and he made a collage and he he stayed for the workshop and it and he was smiling when he left, oh, awesome. so I think it, it worked out well for him. But I think, yeah, everyone has different things that they're afraid of, right? And so might get stuck on step one, and that's okay. This sounds like an awesome workshop. I'm excited because you are coming yeah. to Seattle with it. Let's see. Then you're going to... Oh, you're also yeah. going to be doing this in San Francisco, Australia, for the Pause Pause Fest in Melbourne, Australia. Yeah. So is there a way that people can keep track of where you're doing this workshop? There's a couple places. I I don't tweet, but I do Instagram. So if you follow at Words by LaDonna on Instagram, I'm posting information about where I'm going to be there. But also all the workshops will be listed on dropbox.design and you'll be able to sign up there as well. Um, we'll have a, an Eventbrite link for every workshop that I do. So it's going to be in Seattle at the Dropbox office downtown. And then we're planning a another workshop for sometime later in the spring in New York City. That's so fantastic. I want to thank you again so much, LaDonna, for joining sure. me on UX. Yeah. That was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. I did as well. If you enjoy the UX Cake podcast and you want to help us grow our community, I have three action items for you. First, share this episode with a friend or colleague. There is a share function in every podcast platform, including on our website. You can also share a link to an episode on your work Slack or your social media channel of choice. That gets this content to more people who find it useful. Number two, rate and review the UX Cake podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. This is the social proof that potential sponsors and partners we want to work with look to. If you don't have an iPhone, you can still rate and review in iTunes on your computer. Just search for UX Cake in the iTunes store, click on the podcast, and go to the ratings and reviews button. And number three, subscribe to our email list at uxcake.co and to our Twitter or LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook, or all of them if you like. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a bite. UX life is hard. Eat more cake. <laughs>